0: Welcome to the University of Calgary's DCNS podcast series bringing the clinical neurosciences to primary care. My name is Tyson Brust, a senior neurology resident at the University of Calgary and your host for today's podcast. For show notes, disclosures and references, please visit our website at www.dcnspodcast.com. In today's podcast, we are going to present an update on the management of multiple sclerosis for primary care physicians. We will focus on diagnosing relapses and pseudo-relapses as well as the treatment of relapses and symptoms. To discuss these issues, Dr. Michael Young has once again kindly agreed to, to participate in this podcast. As you may recall, Dr. Young is a Clinical Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Calgary and a specialist in multiple sclerosis. He's been the director of the Multiple Sclerosis Clinical Trials Research Program since 2007 and has been the program director of the Adult Neurology Residency Program since 2012. Dr. Young and myself have recently co-written an article for the Canadian Journal of Diagnosis entitled, Update on the Management of Multiple Sclerosis, Treatment of Symptoms and Relapses. The content of today's podcast will be largely based on this article. For the full reference, please visit our website at www.dcnspodcast.com. Thank you for participating once again in this podcast, Dr. Young. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, begin with the case as we did last time. A 43-year-old woman with a history of relapsing-remitting multiple sclerosis for the past 10 years presents to your office complaining of numbness on the right side of her body as well as worsening fatigue. Her symptoms started acutely 24 hours ago. She has long-standing weakness and spasticity of her arms and legs, the right worse than the left, but is still able to ambulate with a cane. Her last relapse was two years ago and consisted of numbness that ascended from her right foot to the right side of her torso and then into her right arm over the course of five days. The numbness eventually resolved over six weeks. She has had overactive bladder symptoms, which is frequency more than eight times per day with urgency, nocturia, and overflow incontinence for the past two years, and has had two urinary tract infections in the past year. She has declined catheterization, preferring to use diapers for her her overflow incontinence. She denies any recent changes in bladder function and has not experienced fever or chills. She asks if she has experienced a relapse and whether she
1: should be treated. How would you answer that question, Dr. Young? First thing we have to decide is whether this is a true relapse or exacerbation or a pseudo-relapse. A pseudo-relapse is worsening of previous neurological symptoms because of metabolic changes. Those metabolic changes could include an underlying infection, the most common being a bladder infection, or from other systemic illness such as a cold or flu. Pseudo relapses tend to have fairly sudden onset, last for days rather than weeks, and improve once the metabolic cause has been treated. They usually are worsening of previous deficits rather than new deficits, and there is always a metabolic change. A true relapse Occurs more subacutely, usually lasts for weeks, and can represent new symptoms or could still be worsening of previous symptoms. No metabolic changes are associated with this, such as fever or evidence of a bladder infection. To determine whether this is a true relapse or a pseudo relapse, metabolic factors need to be ruled out. The most common is. A bladder infection so doing a urinalysis and culture and sensitivity may be required. Looking for other infections may also be necessary. There are standardized protocols for looking at bladder infections such as the Alberta Medical Association toward optimized practice website which is www.topalbertadoctors.org org slash cpgs there is a recent update on multiple sclerosis and management of urinary tract infections from November 2013. Not all relapses need to be treated. If this is a pseudo-relapse, treatment of the underlying metabolic abnormality should cause resolution of the neurological symptoms. If this is thought to be a true relapse, Not all relapses need to be treated. Relapses should be treated if there is a major functional deficit, such as difficulty walking, problems with coordination, or very poor eyesight from optic neuritis. The treatment for relapses is high-dose steroids, either intravenously or orally. There is no place for low-dose oral steroids. Oral steroids are given, prednisone should be given in a dose of 1,250 milligrams, yes, 1,250 milligrams per day for three to five doses, either every day or every second day. A tapering dose could be considered. Usually that is done if the symptoms do start to improve. In order to lessen the risk of osteoporosis by giving such large doses of corticosteroids, supplementation with calcium and vitamin D is recommended. Improvement of the relapse is usually rapid. However, there is no guarantee that there will be full improvement. Corticosteroids shorten the time to recovery, but do not guarantee full recovery to baseline. For example, if a patient has an episode of optic neuritis where the visual acuity is at 2100, and they were going to recover to 2040 without steroids, and it was going to take six weeks, cortical steroids may shorten that recovery time to two weeks, but they would still be at 2040. How do you decide whether to treat a relapse or not? Minor relapses don't need to be treated with cortical steroids. Cortical steroids have lots of side effects, and if you give them too often, particularly in the high doses that we use, there are potential side effects, both short-term and long-term. Relapses should be treated if they interfere with activities of daily living. So if balance is an issue, if people have trouble walking, if there's major problems with strength, if their vision is quite poor, all those are considered treatable. Minor sensory abnormalities, such as some tingling or numbness of a hand that does not impair grip or writing or typing skills, should likely not be treated. Let's go back to our
0: case. Based on the clinical information provided, do you think that this is most likely a
1: pseudo-relapse or a true relapse? I suspect this is a pseudo-relapse given her urinary symptoms and her previous history of bladder infections. I would definitely do a urinalysis and likely a culture and sensitivity uh, and then treat as a pseudo-relapse if those are positive, meaning giving antibiotics.
0: Our case also illustrates a number of symptoms that are common in MS, such as spasticity, weakness, gait disturbance, bladder dysfunction, and fatigue. How can
1: primary care physicians uh, help co-manage these symptoms? These symptoms can certainly be helped by a rehabilitation program. So referring to physiotherapy, occupational therapy, may help with the spasticity, the weakness, the gait disturbance, and the fatigue. Pacing programs can often help uh, fatigue where patients do their important things at the beginning of the day rather than waiting at the end of the day. Referral for a pre- and post-void bladder ultrasound may also help determine the type of bladder dysfunction that is occurring. Referral to a multidisciplinary team uh, in a comprehensive multiple sclerosis clinic may be very helpful at this stage. Are there any
0: pharmacological interventions for these symptoms that can be initiated by primary
1: care physicians? Certainly. Pharmacological therapy for spasticity includes baclofen or tizanidine. Gabapentin may also be helpful. For bladder dysfunction, referral for a pre- and post-void bladder ultrasound may help determine what type of bladder disturbance is occurring. The use of anticholinergics such as oxybutanin may also be helpful. For fatigue, amantadine in doses up to 300 milligrams per day could be tried. Often interventions for lifestyle changes can significantly improve the quality of life for example physical activity is safe and well tolerated and has been shown to reduce falls and improve mood smoking cessation is important because smoking increases disability progression and lesion volume on mri excessive alcohol use and caffeine intake can make bladder symptoms worse as well as worsen fatigue Routine screening for comorbidities such as depression, insomnia, and vitamin D deficiency uh, are also useful. For fatigue, some of the antidepressants, including the SSRIs and the SNRIs, can be helpful. Osteoporosis is also a well-recognized health problem associated with MS because of use of cortical steroids and because of the prevalence in females. Other common risk factors include immobility, smoking, and vitamin D insufficiency. Bone health monitoring is recommended through the primary care services in the MS population. Because vitamin D is a potential modulator of both MS risk and disease activity, all MS patients should be supplemented with a minimum of 2,000 to 4,000 in international units of vitamin D per day trying to achieve a level of at least 75 to 80 nanomoles per liter over the long term. Pain may also be a disabling symptom of multiple sclerosis. Use of antidepressants such as amitriptyline, SNRIs, or SSRIs could be considered. Referral for physical measures such as acupuncture, massage, or physiotherapy may also be beneficial. Gabapentin, in usual doses as well as pregabalin could also be considered.
0: Dr. Young, in your experience, what are common misconceptions that people have about the role of the disease-modifying therapies for the symptomatic uh,
1: management of multiple sclerosis? So the disease-modifying therapies do not change any MS symptoms that patients currently have. They are meant to change the disease course and will not change any symptoms that are there. However, the DMTs or disease-modifying therapies may have some symptoms of their own, such as flu-like symptoms, uh, changes in liver function tests, as well as on the CBC. To conclude this podcast, do you have any take-home messages for our listeners, Dr. Young? I think it is important that primary care physicians recognize that symptom management in the early stages can improve quality of life for people with MS. Simple things such as referral to a rehab program, including physiotherapy or occupational therapy, may be all that is required. Neurological symptoms in MS patients are not always related to MS activity. Other things do need to be ruled out, and we do recognize the role of primary care physicians in helping us do that. Current disease-modifying therapies do not improve MS symptoms and often have unpleasant side effects of their own. MS patients can also develop other diseases that may make their MS symptoms worse. Importantly, not all exacerbations need to be treated. And there is no role for low-dose corticosteroids in the treatment of MS relapses. Thank you, Dr. Young, for participating
0: in this podcast. That concludes our podcast on the symptomatic management of multiple sclerosis. Thanks for listening.